0: Hi everyone, my name is Eric Arno, and this is the last brand new The Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories episode of 2013. We're ending the year with the second part of our Across the Universe episode, in which we feature cast members of both the Improvised Star Trek podcast and the Klingon Christmas Carol, plus some of the usual Nerdalogs members and friends. This episode spotlights storytellers Mary Beth Smith, Matt Young, Kevin Budnick, uh, Mark Lancaster and Jeremy Connie, plus music from myself and Dwight Hassler. Since it's the holiday season, nerdlogs are on a bit of a break right now, but that doesn't mean we don't have stuff coming up you can't look forward to. Uh, first of all, our year-end Best of 2013 Your Stories podcast will drop next Monday, so you can enjoy some of the coolest moments from 2013 all over again. Or maybe for the first time if you're a new uh, listener, in which case, welcome! And of course, January in Chicago brings with it the Chicago Sketch Fest, in which the nerdlogs are taking part. We'll be performing at Stage 773 on Belmont and Racine, At 11 p.m. on Saturday, January 11th, and the whole festival hosts a number of great groups besides us that you really should check out, so don't miss it. Uh, Also, be sure to check out the other podcasts on the Nerdalogs Network MBSing with Mary Beth Smith and the Nerdalogcast. And I think that's it for now, so thanks everyone for listening, and please enjoy this
1: episode. Take my love, take my land. Take me where I cannot stand I don't care I'm still free You can't take the sky from me Take me out To the black I found serenity You can't take the sky from me She packed my bags last night Free flight That's a segue Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high As a kite by then Goes out to William Shatner, guys. <laughs> I miss the Earth so much. I miss my wife. It's lonely out in space. On such a timeless flight. Ain't the kind of place to raise your kids. In fact, it's cold as hell, and there's no one there to raise them if you did. And all the science I don't understand. Just my job, five days a week. A pocket man. Rocket man. And I think it's gonna be a long, long time till touchdown brings me round again to find. I'm not the man. I think I am at home. Oh no, no, no. I'm a rocket man. Rocket man, burning out of his love very alone, And I think it's gonna be a long, long time.
0: stories to tell and first up in tonight's stories is (laughs) Nerdalogs member mary beth
2: smith Uh, according to my roommate's book on the enneagram i am a helper i am a two out of nine numbered personality types that are determined by a series of questions in a test much like the more popular personality test the myers-briggs I think, in an alternate universe, I might be a personality scientist. Because this it, this stuff really fascinates me. I, I often try to assess other people's levels of self-awareness to discern if they have a sense of their own personalities. Just a fun thing that I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometimes I use that helper, too, to define me. Feeling like I've let someone down makes me feel worse than almost anything else. I don't like when people feel like they can't or didn't ask me for help. I don't like the guilt and anxiety I feel when I can't help. I don't even really like when people help me, because for some stupid, stubborn reason, I pride myself on being self-sufficient, despite how much I pour over helping others. Uh, to me, this helpfulness can mean doing someone a simple favor, loaning a jacket when it's chilly or raining, or uh, some cash when a bar doesn't, Take credit, but I think it can also mean simple social gestures, uh, going to a show I'm not involved in, or a birthday f- gathering for an acquaintance. Uh, I genuinely felt guilty recently for not going to a going away party for someone whom I would openly spoken ill of in the past. <laughs> says about me (laughs) but i think at least partially to me it tells me i shouldn't speak ill of anyone Uh, at my worst i am selfish and angry that's the unhealthy side of a two personality needing someone to acknowledge that i'm doing well being helpful and showing up for people if you're listening and you think this number stuff all sounds like horseshit Uh, you may very well be right. But, as a counter-argument, or at least a higher level of justification for profiling yourself into one of these numbers, the book actually does an excellent job of outlining ways you can better yourself if you start to see the warning signs of being mentally, emotionally, and interpersonally unhealthy for each one of the numbers. Uh, before I start to sound like some creepy motivational speaker, I'll shift the focus back to my own two-status. Uh, To complicate things a tad, I profile as having a three wing to my two personality. Bear with me. Uh, The type three is the achiever, a much more self-centered, needy personality that there are probably more of us out there as performers Uh, (laughs) focused on one's own success. In the middle of that personality Venn diagram of two, the helper, and three, the achiever, lies what the Enneagram calls the host, or hostess. Now, setting aside the definition of hostess as having people over at your home and entertaining, which I do enjoy and think I excel at, (laughs) and aside from playing alt-universe Jane Goodall in the Multiverse versus George Lucas, closing this Friday in this theater at 10 p.m., I can only recall hosting something proper three times in my life. In eighth grade, I hosted a uh, patriotic variety show my class performed for our entire school called Stars and Stripes, which I creatively named because it was a bunch of stars who had earned their stripes in a bunch of fields. Uh, uh, As a high school senior, I hosted our school's talent show called Coffee House, which I did not name, but it was named for where it was held. Uh, coffee house. Uh, for the past six months, I've hosted a podcast called MBSing, creatively named as a portmanteau of my initials and the colloquial phrase BSing. Oh boy. Uh, the Nurlogs graciously offered to produce a show a couple of months ago, a couple of months into the process, and it is absolutely still a work in progress. But, When I stand back from my weekly podcast, I can see how it fits in my aforementioned personality profile. I'm helping friends and acquaintances both talk about something they truly love and listen to others that they may or may not know personally talk about something they love. To me, it helps people realize why we like what we do and realize that loving something, anything, is important to influence our lives, our art, our relationships with other humans. I I can also see how it's fitting for the Achiever in me. I've created a concrete thing that's mine, that I schedule and release every week, and that some people listen to every week, some people I don't even know very well. Uh... My parents and closest friends haven't listened to every episode, so my self-deprecating brain tells me that this is because those people get enough of me not to need another hour a week. (laughs) Uh, Is it egotistical that I pride myself on this project? Absolutely! Uh, (laughs) After all, approximately half of the hour-long episode is me telling my own anecdotes and weighing in on the guest subject. But you know what? I love hosting it. I love seeing my own podcast icon in my podcast app next to all my other favorite podcasts, but <laughs> <laughs> I hat tip to Claire for helping design it. But more than anything, I love what it has done for my relationships with a lot of my guests and listeners. I could rattle off a list of people right now who I've become closer to and worked with creatively as a result of the show. And that makes the work I've put into it absolutely worth it. I cannot wait to continue to be a host and to see what the show becomes. Thanks, guys. I love you, and I mean that. <laughs>
3: Aww. You to be episode, you guys.
0: Mary Beth Smith. I I was on Mary Beth's show. She's a really great hostess. Uh, I talked about Bruce Springsteen in case you don't get enough of me talking about it. Here, I got another hour in the can. I could do five more. Alright, I mentioned we have some special guests in the house. We have some storytellers from those troops coming up first to grace the stage from Improvised Star Trek, Captain Baxter himself, Matt Young.
4: To get on my uh, low-tech cheat sheet here. Uh, Great. Uh, So, there's three things you need to know uh, before you hear uh, the entirety of my story. Uh, The first is that uh, NASA uh, recently released information from the Kepler spacecraft Space Telescope that there could be possibly billions of habitable planets in the universe uh, that about one in five sun-like stars have a, a, a habitable stone a, a habitable um, uh, zone, thank you for... I don't know what happened there. <laughs> Habitable zone. Um, and, and it's possible that there are way, way more planets that could uh, contain life than we previously thought. Uh, the second thing is Star Trek-related. Um, it's about the original series. In case you don't know this, I suspect most of you will here tonight. Uh, they sort of dumped this after the original series, but there were often many times when they would go to other planets, where that was like an Earth-like planet where this one thing was different. (laughs) Like the Romans are still in control in the 20th century. Dumb shit like that. And those planets just like, uh, they never existed. Don't worry about that. Um, The third thing uh, is that uh, I am a narcissist. uh, And I am uh, self-involved because I'm an actor and I'm a performer. Uh, So the way that these three things came together is when I heard this news about the other planets and thought about Star Trek, I was like what am I doing on all those other planets?
1: <laughs>
4: what, are the, all, what are all the other versions of me doing? Oh my god, I really want to know. I'm so curious because I could probably A, give them a ton of good advice. <laughs> Because odds are they're fucking it up.
1: Uh,
4: So, uh, But it really did get me thinking about this and thinking about my own life. And um, something else that recently happened is uh, my parents just got divorced. Um, I'm 39 years old. uh, And they got married when they were 17 and 19 uh, because my mom was pregnant with me. Uh, So this came as quite a shock. It wouldn't have come as a shock the year after I went to college because I lived with them for 18 years and they had nothing in common. They didn't particularly care for each other. And I sort of understood that like, this is the pact we've made, that we're going to raise this kid. We're going to see this thing through because that's what you do. That's the responsible thing to do. Then about five, six, seven years after college, I remember going home and My parents were drinking Long Island iced teas and watching, you know, Law and Order or something on TNT. And I'm like, oh, I guess this is just what they do. (laughs) Everything's going to be all right. They're fine. And then some more time went by and there were more problems. My dad left for a while and had an affair. Uh, They split up again. Maybe they both had affairs. I don't know what happened at this point. I haven't really spoken to them much recently. But I think about those other planets, and those other Matt Youngs, and those other Jeannie Youngs, and those other Paul Youngs. And I hope that they're happy, and I hope that they're finding what they need. I think, too, about my own failed uh, relationship. I was supposed to be married a few years ago, and I wonder if I'm out there married somewhere else, and if this ever reaches those other planets, get out. <laughs> in may whether you heard the news about kepler or not uh this past may uh kepler was actually lost uh, a small wheel inside of the spacecraft broke and obviously they can't reach it to fix it uh so it's gone but we have a lot of information from kepler still to go through a lot of data to analyze uh and i guess so do i
0: thanks Thank you so much, Matt. Uh, in case you guys don't know, you can find Improvised Star Trek on iTunes. Just search Improvised Star Trek. And what's your website? Improvised. Improvised Star Trek. the Improvised. Theimprovisedstartrek.com. Uh, also check out their hit shop music video, which is a Klingon version of Kiss Me. It's super great. All right. Coming up next to the stage, we have Kevin Budnick, local comic book artist and great Woo! dude.
5: Thanks, Eric. You're welcome.
3: <laughs>
5: <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to find what I wrote. Okay. Um, so, across the universe. Uh, I. A lot of kids lay in bed at night when they're young and they think about um, the moon. Then they look up and they think, like, one day maybe I could be an astronaut and maybe I could walk on the moon. Um, but me. I would never do that, because space travel is terrifying. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I'm not, I wasn't like most kids. Uh, you're, you're hurtling through an icy, airless eternity at mock speeds under extreme pressure. You have to eat freeze-dried tang. You have to poop in your pants. And I bet that air pressure there doesn't really help the digestion. So pooping in your pants is probably not that big. Like, it's just it's probably pretty awful. Um, <laughs> and there's a million things that could go wrong. I've seen Apollo 13. Uh, I've seen Alien. Uh, I, I know the basic premise of gravity. Uh, 2001, a space odyssey. Like, all of those things could go wrong. Uh, I went to space camp once, and on the simulator where you do the shuttle thing, we burned up on the way uh, back to Earth. And so, like, (laughs) space travel's not for me because it's terrifying Uh, and because I would be devastated to be alone up in space so far from the rest of the world, Uh, which is kind of ironic because if you know me, I'm a pretty big introvert, Uh, and I have a lot of trouble dealing with what goes on inside my own head. Uh, which is also I'm up here in front of an audience Like talking about my life So what does that mean? Like, those two contradict each other uh, But I think uh, Ruminating on that idea Just like being out of my comfort zone um, So imagine one lonely little kid Up on the moon Kind of like the little prince Only like way sadder <laughs> and and that's that's what it's like to be like just inside your own head or inside a one bedroom apartment it can be as isolating as being up on the moon alone it can seem worlds away just uh to go out the door so i said uh i have a lot of trouble dealing with goes what goes on inside my own head and uh that comes from uh stuff I've been dealing with recently, which is, you know, things are good now, but like I've had some, some trouble with uh, OCD and uh, d- eating disorders and stuff. Uh, and so, um, yeah, like there was this time in my life when I, I would have these, these thoughts in my head that I believed were absolute truths. Things like, um, you know, if you don't, and for uh, if this ends up on the podcast for podcast listeners, if you don't walk around your apartment like this and pick all the little dirt out of the carpet before you eat your breakfast, uh, then, like, maybe you'll get hit by a bus or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and, and by uh, honest-to-God truth, that's what I thought. Um, that's crazy. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but I also kind of, like believe in karma. So that's a really weird form of karma. Like when you don't do something a very specific way, then the universe is going to punish you for it. Um, so through recovery and through therapy, I, I decided to start living kind of like a softer and more, uh, le- less anxiety prone life. And I started doing yoga and that was, that was kind of a big deal. Um, I do it at this very, like, Buddhist uh, center, and and I, I don't want to, like, buy into everything that they're kind of, like, trying to do it. I'm just there to relax and forget my problems. Um, so they have the prayer at the beginning of the meditation. It's like, you know, you, you say Om, you do the opening prayer, uh, and it's in Sanskrit, and uh, <laughs> to me... My way of, of disconnecting myself from that is to imagine when they're saying it, that, since it's in Sanskrit and I can't see it, like uh, words that sound like uh, straw or like a shandy, things like that. Th- imaginary words. And, um, and instead of saying um, I just kind of hum. I don't wanna I don't wanna be an om, I just wanna hum. Uh so it can be a world away to walk out the front door, but when you go out that door you realize that you're a part of that world. And you can either ohm or you can hum but you're sending that hum out there into the universe and it's bouncing off of things and it's hitting people and it's doing things and it's kind of like Mike TV and Willy Wonka. It's like... uh, But it's going out to the moon and back and it's going to reverberate throughout the universe for a really long time and uh, that's kind of how you're a part of it and you don't have to be alone.
0: Wow. Kevin Budnick, uh, check out his, his artwork, uh, Yeti Press on Facebook, YetiPress.com, I imagine. It's super, yes, YetiPress.com. I think that's- uh, we're both fairly certain that it's YetiPress.com. It's, it's great, great stuff. Uh, coming up next, I, I, mentioned in addition to improv Star Trek, we have some folks from the Klingon Christmas Carol in the house. Uh, first of those is Mark Lancaster, who played, uh, the ghost of
6: Kalis Present. <laughs> Exactly what in the nine hells ever made you think you were worthy to stand close enough to me to breathe the same air? Go back to your sweat smelling ass cave and rot, so I can go back to pretending you don't exist. Or at least that's what it sounded like she said.
1: <laughs>
6: the reality was far more innocuous, but had the same impact. <laughs> (laughs) It was high school, and it was the middle of the 1990s, and I had a dozen acquaintances, but no friends. I existed in a no-man's land of both being a jock and a nerd and doing neither very well. Mm -hmm. It's not that I was trying hard but incapable. It was that I didn't care enough to try hard enough to be good at anything. Mm -hmm. I was on the varsity football team, third string. I was taking the advanced placement chemistry class. And I got a one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I don't remember which class it was, but there I sat when someone from across the room called me over. Her name was Becca, (laughs) (laughs) B-E-K-K-A-H. And she had very curly red hair, and it was a simple, hey, Mark, come here, that beckoned me. So I did. Becca, whom I knew, introduced me to Bonnie playing fair, (laughs) B-O-N-N-I-E, who had straight dark hair and bore the mystery of someone I didn't know, but I knew the company she kept. Probably she lived in one of the wealthier neighborhoods than mine. If I had known what a trust fund was, I would have suspected her of having one, not disparagingly. I sat, we chatted. Later I would learn that Bonnie had confided in Becca that she, Bonnie, thought I, Mark, was so hot... And wanted to talk to me, but didn't know how to approach me or what to talk about? This is what prompted Becca to call me over. But by the time I had learned that little bit of information, I was no longer capable of being flattered by it. I'd been instead flattened by such a powerful rebuke that was totally unfair, yet completely true, but made me question my whole worth as a human being. I no longer remembered exactly how I phrased it, but it came out that I watched Star Trek. In 47 seconds, into an otherwise pleasant conversation, her smile dropped and she said to me simply, Oh, you watch Star Trek? Go away. Aww. Aww. As I walk ashamed of shamed myself across the classroom back to my own desk, I remember thinking, that's it? That's all it takes. I was stunned that the whole quality of my character was weighed, measured, and comp- completely dismissed as unworthy because of something so trivial as a single TV show I like to watch. And it wouldn't be the last time. When I was 12, I got a next-gen communicator pen that I still had when I was 19 and happened to be wearing when I was rear-ended gently by another driver on a short stretch of road right by the local mall. We pulled over, expected the damage. There was none that I could see, so I declined to take her information because I didn't see the point. Then suddenly she asks me, what is that? and pointed to my chest. That clearly had nothing to do with the car, so clearly she was starting a new topic. Mm-hmm. Slowly it dawned on me that she was... continuing the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird to me when women do that. I'm like, is this flirting? Am I being flirted on?
1: <laughs> I'm not sure what...
6: I better say something back Well by now I had grown accustomed to people dismissing me Because of the things I enjoyed So I was in the habit of hiding that bit of information Before people got to know me better But it was too late There it was, out in the open Pinned to my shirt I had been about to say It's a Starfleet comm badge But if she didn't already know that Then that wasn't going to explain anything So (laughs) I said instead It's a Star Trek Pin, But I may as well have said to her, it's the remnants of an uncooked egg, which spent three days decomposing in the sun before being farted on by some fat Lithuanians before being finally cracked open and spread across my sweatshirt. Because at least then that would have justified to me the look of scorn in her eyes when she said to me, clearly giving me another chance, why are you wearing it? If you'd been a casual observer of this exchange, standing just beyond earshot, you might have believed that my answer, being composed of four words, to be one of the following. Either one, I like the smell, (laughs) or two, I like Star Trek. Because without another word, she simply got into her car and drove away. These exchanges, and so many like them since then, are what make me feel, today, Like I've stepped into a Rod Serling anti-nightmare where the nerds have taken over the popular cultural landscape. It's like we were wizards from 3rd edition before the balance issues got sorted out in 3.5, who lost all our hit points real easy at lower levels while the fighters and barbarians dominated the board, but now we're all epic level, and we found out that the cultural power balance has shifted in our favor. So we're safe and sound, secure in our towers, lobbying intellectual H-bombs into every major movie theater near you that you couldn't possibly understand because we know you never even heard of Joseph Campbell and your degree requirements only in Included Like one physics class and while you were crumbling like the ignorant low charisma score having meat shields, we knew you to be Meantime, the children of the people you used to scorn and or beat up for fun are Bronies who not only have a safe community in which to share their love of a particular piece of pop culture But they also have parents who have a first-hand understanding of what it's like to be mistreated for life choices that don't harm anybody So thank you, Bonnie, and all the he-Bonnies and she-Bonnies that came after you, for you taught me to treat people better than you treated me and elevated the quality of art that I am capable of producing and perpetuating. Thank you so
1: much,
0: Mark. I feel you, Mark. I in sixth grade, I kept like a journal that had an embossed Star Trek Generations cover on it. So yeah, I super chick magnet, guys. <laughs> Woo! All right, <laughs> what? Embossed. Embossed. I know. Fancy. All right, guys, we're gonna do one more story, then we're gonna take a short break. Uh, coming up next to the stage, general great guy and creative person, Mr.
3: Jeremy Connie. Woo!
0: That's you. Okay. You're welcome. Thank you.
3: Uh, I, I don't have a story per se But I have a pondering of an idea and That I uh, thought of when I was Looking at the topic of across the universe I thought it was really interesting When considering the universe How humans usually go to a very specific Idea or a Story or pathway through the universe I think that humans are actually pretty Poor at understanding large scale ideas. That is to understand the fullness of a large scale idea. And I didn't really think of this as a inept ability until I was listening to a vlog of uh, an episode of a vlog by the Vlog Brothers on YouTube. Does anybody listen to Vlog Brothers? Yeah, great. They had an episode where one uh, Hank talked about the idea of a million seconds. And I was like, okay, yeah, I know what what a million is. It's a thousand thousands. It's it's a number. We all know numbers. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, okay, so what is a million seconds? And I couldn't couldn't translate that into an amount. Actually, does anybody else here want to venture a guess on how long a million seconds is? Is it a week? Is it a month? Is it two months? What's that? One hour. <laughs> One
1: hour.
3: It's a good estimate. Uh, but without, without using math or my phone, I had no idea, as Dwight also did. It's,
6: it's, it's just
3: short of two weeks ago. It's 12 days. And a billion seconds is 31 years ago. And a trillion seconds is 31,000 years ago. And if you would have said a million, billion seconds, trillion seconds to me a minute ago, I would have been like, yeah, it's probably something much more reasonable sounding than that. But after hearing this, I've really thought about, I don't, I don't think that humans are really good at understanding large-scale concepts. I just don't think we're built for it. I think we're really built for imagining specifics and considering specifics. And I... You know, I, if you were to pile a million bananas on each other, I don't know... I don't know what that would look like. <laughs> <laughs> like, if, if you put a million tangible things in a room, I don't know how much it would take up, I don't know how you would get from one to a million bananas. I just don't... You can't see... I can't, I can't really understand the in-between between A and B. And I think there's something to be said about that. That there's this maybe this innate innate inability to really figure out the in-between parts between the start of a small concept and scaling it up to something so huge that it's not readily present in our day-to-day lives. And I think you can even scale that down to something much more reasonable of a concept and say, well, we're not probably good at that as easily as doing something else. I think this happens a lot in making goals in our lives, just to bring it down to something that's more tangible than just a million-somethings. I think we run into a lot of troubles in making really big goals because we don't know the difference between a million and a billion, just like we might not know the difference between a really big, achievable goal and a really big, unobtainable goal. I think we get confused. I think we see them both as just big things, big goals. And we run into maybe a little bit of unhappiness as a culture when we try and achieve something and only halfway through or part of the way through realize that, oh, we're in the middle of a big, unobtainable goal instead of just a really big goal that we can do with enough hard work. And uh, for this podcast, I submit to you an example. I took the example of world hunger, solving world hunger, and I tried to come up with the in-between parts of it, the middle parts, go from A to B, where we are now to solving world hunger, and I literally took 30 minutes and sat down and tried to do this. So if everybody's fed in the world, uh, there'd likely be an organization in charge of assessing needs, each individual area of people, getting food to them. Who needs what? How to get it to them? Countries would need to be okay with their resources being shifted around uh, to other people that are not them. Uh, by the way, this is a hypothetical situation, so these are just stating the needs, not the actual, not actually having it happen. <laughs> <laughs> so they would, you, you would also have to have enough food produced. Ide- uh, ideally, you know. Uh, There would have to be some sort of shift in political governance, probably a worldwide body like the U.N., but much better organized and and capable. You would have to gain consensus within that organization. Uh, I would guess you would do that by one player starting with a big plan and then getting people to glom onto that plan and join them. Sounds like that, you know, you could have that be the U.S. in this example, Um, and you would have to have the political will to make that happen within the U.S. Uh, in order to do that, you would have to form probably some sort of political action committee or a non-profit that would be able to get enough political will to affect polit- politicians in office and shift the policy of U.S. within itself and then push it to the U.N., Uh, In order to get support in the U.S., you would have to get at least businesses on your side, raise money to influence politicians. And in order to do that, you have a strong enough case in order to convince businesses and politicians. And I don't know what that case would be, but you would have to research and come up with a strong enough argument in order to persuade a whole nation to move. Now, just spending 30 minutes in my own apartment... On my couch in my pajamas, doing this was really hard. Just coming up with a hypothetical situation. I stopped literally twice going, I I don't know. I don't even know what could possibly do this. What could possibly solve world hunger? And that arguably was pretty stressful to come up with the middle steps for a really big problem. Now, I would wholly put this self put this example as a big, unobtainable goal for myself. But I think this happens in a smaller scale for lots of people uh, in our society right now, just on, for other things, for smaller goals, that they don't necessarily take the time to spend and look at the in-between middle steps between A and B and really assess whether or not something's an un- unobtainable big goal or a really big obtainable goal. Uh so I submit to you also an example of a really big idea that I want to do but I think is an obtainable goal for myself. I want to eventually uh make furniture. I'd like to make a table <laughs> or a rocking chair.
1: <laughs>
3: and you know, I don't know how to do any of that right now. I took wood shop in high school, but I can't I don't have the skills, I don't have the tools, but You know, I could say, I could see a rocking chair and go, okay, well, those are, you know, pieces of wood that are shaped, uh, so I'd need to get tools to shape them, buy the lumber to do it, uh, then learn the carpentry skills of shaping and cutting those pieces. I'd also have to fasten them together, so it's either glue or some sort of fasteners. Um, I'd also have to raise the money, save the money to get all the lumber and tools or access to tools. And, you know, those are the basic steps in between me not knowing how to build a rocking chair and building a rocking chair for myself. At no point in those goals do I see anything that's, you know, seriously a hard thing. So it's probably not impossible for me to do. And that's, it's an example. And those are two extreme examples. But I think everybody would benefit from spending time to think about the middle steps in whether or not a large goal is is able to be obtained from themselves. And if we all do that together over the course of millions of years, (laughs) well then we all might be the humans might as well be better at assessing goals at the right get go in nature. Thank you guys. (laughs)
1: you <laughs>
0: For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com.
6: Thank you all, thank you all. I am
1: Grabbot23548x.